You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 31. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What are the most important issues for people in Australia today? Mission Australia does a national youth survey each year where they survey 15 to 19 year olds and here were their top answers to that question last year. Number one was COVID-19. Number two, the environment. Number three, equity and discrimination. Do those results surprise you? Obviously COVID is in our face and it's disrupted life for the past three years. But in second place, young people in Australia are concerned about the environment. And it's not just young people who are worried about the environment either. In the last federal election, we saw 11 so-called teal independents sweep into power. And a key part of their platform was a commitment to the environment and tackling climate change. So some of the issues that we need to think about with respect to the environment are deforestation and habitat destruction. Uh, Melbourne Zoo has particularly drawn our attention to the impact on orangutans due to the destruction of palm trees for the production of palm oil. Uh, the use of renewable sources of non-renewable sources of energy like oil and coal. How long before these run out? And how can we make a transition to other more sustainable uses of power? Uh, pollution. Actually, COVID lockdowns have drastically reduced environmental pollution worldwide. We've seen an improvement in air quality and in water quality. Climate change. How are our actions as humans and the industries we're undertaking, making permanent changes to global temperatures. And what's the flow on effect of this warming for sea levels and the impact on shrinking Pacific islands and more extreme droughts? The organisation Common Grace recently encouraged people to knit scarves uh, like this one on your screen, where each line of the wool represents the average annual temperature. 
showing the increased number of warm years visually as a prompt to action. Now I recognise that in a church as large and as diverse as ours, there'll be a range of views on these issues. Thankfully, Kirk taught us last week about disagreeing well. But whatever our personal views are, we can't deny that it's an important matter to think about. And as Christians, to think about from a biblical perspective. What does God have to say about the environment? What does God have to say about our role and responsibility to the environment? Should the Bible and our faith in Jesus make us more or less concerned for the environment? So I want us to trace through the Bible story to think about this, to reflect theologically with you, and also to think about practical actions that might flow out of this. Whose world is it? A key place to start as, as we think about the environment is Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. As Christians, we believe that the world belongs to God and he is the owner of it. This introduces the idea of humans as stewards or caretakers of creation. Now, when I was a red pea plater, my friend Matt lent me his red Nissan Skyline for a week. So for that week, I was the steward or the caretaker of his Skyline. Now, I could have redlined it, I could have done burnouts, I could have taken it off-road rally driving, but none of those things would have been good stewardship of the car, which didn't belong to me, it belonged to Matt. And because of my friendship with Matt, I didn't want to do that to his car. Well, so too with creation, it belongs to God. We don't want to trash the environment because we love and respect its owner. The Evangelical Declaration on the Care of Creation puts it like this. Because we worship and honour the Creator, we seek to cherish and care for creation. I was struck as we were listening to Uncle Dave Wandon at the Gawa Wurundjeri Resource Trail, uh, where we went as a church recently, where he was emphasising that Indigenous Australian culture thinks in these terms too, that they are stewards of the creation and looking after it, but not owning it. In God's grace, he has shaped their culture and thinking to be aligned with this biblical view. And our Western culture can actually think differently. We can think strongly in terms of ownership of my land and having rights to do what I want with my land which is less aligned with the way that the Bible speaks about the environment. Now, our role as caretakers is spelled out in the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2. We see in Genesis 1 that God exists before the world does. He's independent of the world. And with his creative power, he brings all the world into being, its landscape and its creatures. And in Genesis 1.28, he puts 
people in charge of the world under him. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's important that we think about this verse because it's been blamed as causing the environmental crises that we see in the world. So Professor Lynn White blamed Christian theology for normalising the exploitation of the world. That in giving humans dominion and rule over the creation, this has meant free reign to do what we want. And the outcome has been environmental disaster. Now, we Christians do need to own our poor stewardship of creation at times, no doubt. But I would argue that this is a misreading and a misapplication of God's word rather than God's instructions directly leading to this outcome. Again, the world doesn't belong to us to do what we want with it and to exploit. It belongs to God and to live rightly in relationship with him and with his world means exercising good care and sustainable rule over his creation. If we move forward into Genesis 2, we see that human beings are formed out of the same stuff as the creation. Adam is formed by God out of the dust of the ground, that we're part of the creation and we share a kinship with it. And when God places the man Adam in the Garden of Eden, his job is to look after the earth. He's told to work it and care for it. Not work it, exploit it, and take everything you can from it. Work it and care for it. We could unpack further the way that God builds Sabbath rest into creation. Not only are humans to rest from work, the land is to be given rest. There are Sabbath years where the land is to lie unused and fallow. It's not just about maximising profit and exploitation, but about responsible and good caretaking of the creation. Now, I can emphasise this further by contrasting with two non-Christian ways to think about the environment. One wrong view is what is called pantheism or everything is Godism. This view treats the universe as itself divine and imbued with power. Now that means that there's a high level of respect for the environment, but it's too high and it results in the worship of nature rather than God. Uh, sometimes you hear people uh, speaking of the universe directing their path. And this view fails to distinguish the creator from the creation. I was once at a party and I spoke to a Christian who drifted unhelpfully into this view. Uh, he spoke to me of breathing in God. No, that's to limit God and to constrain him within his own creation. 
When we look at the creation, we do see God's invisible qualities. We see his eternal power and his divine nature, to use the words of Romans 1.20. But God is not in creation. It bears the marks of his power and glory because he made it. Another wrong view is what's called dualism or uh, two-thingism. This separates out God and the spiritual too much from creation. It treats spiritual things as good and physical things as bad. And so it can undervalue the environment and think that it's not important. But Christianity avoids both of these things as we think about the environment. God is separate to creation, but he's intimately connected with it. He hasn't just made the world and left it to run by itself. He sustains it and he keeps it running. And it's good because God made it. He made it good and he loves it and he cares for it. So what's gone wrong? If God made the world good and placed humans in charge of his world, why are there environmental problems? Why is there pollution and deforestation and global warming? Well, the answer is human sin. The Bible is clear that we human beings don't live life the way that God intended for us. We reject his good rule over us and disobey his commands. We don't love each other like we're supposed to, and we don't rule over the creation rightly, wisely, and well. Regardless of your political views, as Christians, we have to acknowledge our part in the damage to creation. And in the Bible, because there's a connectedness between humans and the environment, and because humans were put in charge of the world to rule it well under God, the fate of creation and the fate of humankind are intricately bound together. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 21. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The creation is groaning and frustrated as a result of human sin. But there's hope for creation. It will be set free when God brings his plans for humankind to fulfillment. God remains passionately and lovingly committed to his creation. He loves it so much that he entered into it himself in the person of Jesus. Jesus takes on human flesh and enters into the creation. He swims in its waters and walks along its grassy hills. He breathes in the warm summer air and enjoys the fragrance of flowers. He looks up at the vastness of the stars 
in the night sky. The incarnation of Jesus shows the commitment of God to creation. And Jesus dies on the cross to deal with our sin and rejection of God, which includes our failed stewardship of creation, corporate and systematic sins and failures, and also individual neglect and indifference. But again, because of God's utter commitment to his creation, Jesus is raised bodily from the dead because the creation matters. The things that God has made matter and he wants to redeem them. He doesn't want to chuck them out and start again. The resurrection of Jesus is the start of the renewal of creation. It's the sign and it's the guarantee that all of creation will be redeemed by him. Now, Christians often get this wrong. Uh, I spoke at a young adults conference years ago with a guy called Jared McKenna, who's a Christian environmental activist. And he was planning an interstate trip with another pastor and sharing his decision to drive rather than fly due to the lower environmental impact. And this pastor said to him, why man, it's all gonna burn. His view of God's plan for the world was that Jesus would return and take his followers off to heaven and the world would be burned up. Now we, we might not put it as bluntly as that, but we might think about our hope as escaping to heaven. And we might be so focused on spiritual things that we think that physical things don't matter. But what the Bible actually teaches is far richer, more beautiful and more powerful. Here's how the theologian Oliver O'Donovan puts it. In proclaiming the resurrection of Christ, the apostles proclaimed also the resurrection of humankind in Christ. And in proclaiming the resurrection of humankind, they proclaimed the renewal of all creation with him. The resurrection of Christ in isolation from humankind would not be a gospel message. The resurrection of humankind apart from creation would be a gospel of a sort, but of a world-denying sort, which is far from the gospel that the apostles actually preached. So the resurrection of Christ directs our attention back to the creation, which it vindicates. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead gives hope that we too will be raised and that the whole of creation will be redeemed and renewed. Christian hope is resurrection hope, which is not just about us, but about the whole world. It's not all gonna burn, it's all gonna be renewed. And because that's the future hope that we look to, it's the motivation for us to act now and to care for the creation 
knowing that God will complete that work at the return of Jesus and that none of our good effort motivated by trust in Jesus will be wasted. So what does this mean in practice? Firstly, we need to trust God with the environment. When I was growing up, there was an advertising campaign with the slogan, save the planet. Anyone remember that? It was meant to motivate us to play our part to look after the environment. And that's a great intention, but it's overstated. You and I can't save the planet. It's out of our league to do something that big. But Jesus can, has, and will. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is not just about saving souls or even just saving people. It's also about saving the planet. And so our first step is to trust Jesus, not only with our lives, but with our planet too. Uh, my wife, Anna, who's a psychologist, was asked to be involved in an environment day in Hurstbridge a few years back. She was asked to speak about climate change and anxiety. Right? This is a real thing for many people and maybe for you personally. Seeing the environmental problems around us can be anxiety producing and can lead us into despair. I've pastored people struggling deeply with this sort of worry and despair. But if we see the plan that God has been unfolding in Jesus, then it helps us to be less anxious and to trust him. It can relieve the pressure we feel to do it all, of it, all ourselves and to get so angry and frustrated with those around us when they fail to do it. We can't save the planet by ourselves, but Jesus will. But secondly, that doesn't mean that we don't work at it. It doesn't mean that we work less. It should motivate us to keep working. Every small step that we take to care for the environment now is aligning ourselves with the wider plans of God to care for and to renew creation. Part of living for God in the everyday is that we do the little things each day to be faithful to him and to serve him. These things might not look spectacular, but they're important. Reducing the amount of plastic that we use. Reusing things rather than simply chucking them out and getting a new one. Sorting out our recycling. Writing a letter to our political leaders to oppose an unwise development. Advocating for changes to policy that will be better for the environment. Being informed of the environmental policies of the companies that we buy from. Examining our lifestyle and working out whether we can simplify things to consume less. Cultivating habits of being content with what we have so that we don't consume more. Switching off lights 
switching to solar, putting the heater thermostat down a degree and the aircon thermostat up a degree, picking up the rubbish on the ground even if it wasn't dropped by you, walking down the street rather than driving. All, all these things seem small, but that's part of the nature of Christian discipleship. It's often the small things and the unseen things that put our faith into practice and enable us to live out our worldview in practical ways. When we feel tired or busy, we'll be tempted not to take these extra steps in sustainability. Doing them is costly in terms of money, time, and personal comfort. Well, that too is the nature of Christian discipleship. As we follow Jesus and don't just go with the flow. As a church here, we're starting work on a sustainability policy so that we can begin to think about actions that we as a church could take to reduce our impact and be more environmentally friendly and sustainable. Again, it will be about small things that we can do and should do, driven by our love for God and the world he's made. God made the world and he's passionately committed to it. And he's made us to be caretakers and stewards of his creation. We can't save the planet, but Jesus will. And so we need to keep trusting Jesus and keep caring for the good creation in real, practical and everyday ways. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.